The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the word this morning. Here's what I want to talk about. Now, sometimes you can hear the topic and you can think like, well, I know what kind of week that guy had, you know, because that's what's on. I want to talk to you about mental health, mental health. I think it's an important thing. I actually think that it's a really big deal uh, right now just in the culture that we're in, our, our mind. You know, the, your mind is a massive part of who you are. Now, I'm not just talking about your brain as in like part of your body, but I'm talking about your mind, which is really your soul. It's, it's the thing that makes you who you are. So I, I, I never realized this more until I had children, you know, because I've got my, my sons, they're, they're twins, and I'm aware of, of the birds and the bees and how those things happen. I look at them and I see that they are the, the, the combination of my genetics and my wife's genetics, and now they're their own person. Well, that's in their body. But yet God wove something powerful together when he created them. And it's their identity. It's who they are. Now, that exists in their mind, in their soul. They have the things that they prefer, things they like, things they dislike. They have tendencies, you know, a, a personality. You have those things too. So I think it's important when we talk about our mind to realize this is a big deal. It's a big part of who I am. I mean, I'm a spirit my spirit is alive in Jesus, praise God. I'm a body. God loves my body. He cares about what I do with my body. He wants me to, to care for my body and to live righteously with my body, uh, to uh, avoid the things that are destructive and, and uh, corrupting to my body. He loves my body so much, he's going to raise it up again. I mean, that's really kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? That it wouldn't just be like, well, do over. You know, that one wasn't very good anyway. You know? But yet he's going to resurrect it. He's going to resurrect it and then, and then glorify it. I mean, it's kind of like you watch these TV shows where they find rusty trucks in barns and they, they go and they take them and then they, they restore them, right? I mean, that's, that's, he's going to raise up your body and, and go to work on it. That's a really incredible thing to consider. God loves every aspect of who you are. And your soul or your mind is a massive part of who you are. It makes up a third of your being if you're in three parts, so to speak. And I don't really like thinking about it like that, but that's a good way to communicate it so that we don't just, you know, break our brain or spend all of our time discussing those things. So mental health to me is a really important thing to consider. I mean, it's, it's a powerful thing. It has to do with who you are, your identity. There's a reason why it would be under attack because it's such a precious part of who you are. It's, it's your identity. I mean, oftentimes when you consider... Uh, the, 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 the moments in your life where you felt afflicted or you felt beaten down, there's a lot of things going on, waging war against your identity, against your identity as a child of God, against your identity as, as a believer, as a part of a community, as, as a part of a family. I mean, you'll see things like depression come through the gateways of loneliness or disappointment or, or hurt or rejection, and all of those things are attempting to have an impact on who you are through your mental health. So as we get into the word here, I want us to consider that, just that that's important. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find. A few things we're going to find is one, God's plan for your life. Now, he's got a specific plan for your life, like a wonderful plan for your life, like a real specific. And then he's got this plan for all of us. Like this is kind of how he relates to us, okay? So this is God's plan for all of our lives. We're going to see that in the scripture, and it's important to, to remember that. So that we don't forget who he is and what he's promised to do. And then another thing that we're going to find is the danger of doubt. The danger of doubt. It's a, it's a very dangerous thing. And when we begin to see doubt for what it is, uh, we can go to work in the direction that God's equipped us to work against it. Uh, another thing that we're going to find is what we need to focus on. <clears throat> now, I say things like this just because it's how I talk. And it's meant to be a, a very easy to follow and understand. When I say what we need to focus on, what I'm saying is there's something biblically that God points out that is, is something we are called and equipped to pay very close attention to. And it has a wonderful effect when we do so. So we're going to find all of these things. And, and hopefully, in the end, when we say our final amen, 
we are uh, equipped to have the most stable uh, mental health and thinking that we could possibly have, and it will all be because of what Jesus has made a way for. So one, let's just get right in. God's plan for our lives. If you're taking notes, you can write down this passage of Scripture. I think it's an important one to recognize from the Psalm, Psalm 50, verse 15. Psalm 50, verse 15. It's really simple. It's really easy. So God is speaking here. He's he's speaking through the the pen of the psalmist, uh, through a, a prophetic psalm. And he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Now, this is God, and he's speaking to you. Call on me when you're in trouble. I will rescue you, and you will honor me. This is his his pretty simple system of life. You're going to need my help. You'll call upon me. I'll hear your call, and I'll respond. I'll rescue you, and then you'll honor me. That's, That's the system. You're going to need me, I'm going to, to be there, and, and you'll praise, you'll honor, you'll give thanks. I mean, that pretty much describes my life. I, I need victory, deliverance, salvation, and then Jesus responds by making those things available, and now my days are lived out giving thanks to Jesus for all that he's done on my behalf. I mean, you could take that and apply that to my life. Now, this is the reason for opening with this is because this is really meant to be the foundation for how we think. I mean, God's not just saying this because he's insecure and he's looking for some praise. Hey, listen, buddy, you've been in trouble so many times and you've called me and I have bailed you out. How about a little gratitude, right? God doesn't work that way because he's not insecure. There's not any part of him that's suffering any element of insecurity. So he's not fishing for praise, rather he's identifying something, not that we're going to need him, but rather that he's going to be there. That's the point of this. You're going to need me. I'm going to be there. And it's going to result in praise and thanksgiving. That is his way of saying it's going to work. It's not going to result in sorrow. It's not going to result in heartache and disappointment, but rather it's going to result in victory. He is providing us the foundation for us to build all of our thoughts on, and that foundation is he's faithful to deliver. He's faithful to save. So how we think is important. We need that foundation in order to to think in a way that is appropriate in a way that is productive. I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture here. One's from the Proverbs, uh, from Proverbs 23, verse 7. It talks about how how your thinking is important and powerful, and and it reads like this in in most translations. For as a person thinks within themselves, so they are. I mean, your thinking is going to affect who you are. Your thinking is going to affect how you behave. I remember hearing a message that was preached in this room. It was uh, preached by another individual, and they made the comment, if you want to change your life, change your thoughts. I mean, change your thinking, change your life. This is a, a really important thing to consider, the importance of our thinking. Based on this passage of Scripture, how we think affects who we are. I mean, if we think of ourselves as, as being just a sinner, so to speak, that's going to be who we are. If we think of ourselves as delivered, bought with a price, ransomed, paid, equipped and empowered with the Holy Ghost, the saints, which means holy ones. I mean, the saints to me are a football team, and it's a football team I don't like, right? But the holy ones, now that's, that's altogether different. When we see the word saint in the scripture, or we use that word, we need to realize that means holy ones. And honestly, the only reason why I think people would substitute the word saint is because they have a hard time identifying themselves as holy. It's easier to say, oh, he's a saint, than it is to say, oh, he's holy. Because really you're thinking, well, he kind of ticked me off last week. So I don't know that he's really holy, right? But for us, that's our identity. That's the power of the blood. Absolute perfection. Complete and total holiness. Now the words absolute, complete and total aren't necessary but for anything other than just to get attention. Because you can't have partial holiness. You can't have partial perfection. To have partial perfection is to be imperfect. To have partial holiness is to be unholy. These things in and of themselves are absolute. When God brings holiness into your life, it is 100% 
absolute. So this is an important thing for us to consider. If we think the wrong way, we might move in the wrong direction. If as a person thinks, so they are, it's very important for us to guard our minds, to be stable mentally, to to build on that foundation that God is faithful to deliver, that he has brought holiness into our lives and that holiness is where we start. Right here, right now. It's not the finish line that one day we achieve. Rather, it is who we are in Jesus. Absolutely perfect. I want to give you another passage of Scripture here because I think it's an important example of of the power of your, your thinking. And it's kind of an obscure passage of Scripture. You could read right past it. It comes from the book of Numbers, and it's a piece of history that's recorded. I mean, it's the record of an eyewitness of account of things that were going on uh, when the people of Israel were being delivered from slavery and bondage and led into the promises of God. It comes from Numbers chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. It's an example we've used before, so if it sounds a little familiar, bear with me. It definitely applies to our message today. So in Numbers chapter 13, you see the people of God moving from bondage and slavery into the promises of God, and they're met by opposition. When they're met by opposition, all of the sudden, something is challenged. What's challenged is their thinking. So when you get to to Numbers uh, chapter 13, there's one passage of scripture that I think is really important to take a look at, and it's verse 33. Verse 33 talks about the power of their thinking. Now, they ran into opposition. The opposition is big. So I want to just pause there. I don't want to get ahead, and I want to just bring this kind of, bring it home a little bit. Make it less Numbers chapter 13 and more your life right here and now. You have things that God's called you to do. God's called you to be a a wonderful spouse within your marriage. God's called you to be a faithful, powerful parent leading your children into the kingdom of God. God's called you to be a, a business person of integrity. God's called you to be all of these things. He's called you to be a powerful minister in, in the, the mighty name of Jesus, the authority of the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's called you to these things, and all of these things are met with challenges. And these challenges will affect the way that we think if we allow them to. So it's very important that we see this example in the scripture so that we can understand what's going on when these challenges rise. So what's going on here is the people of Israel have been given an assignment, they're on the move, a challenge comes, and then their thinking begins to be affected by the challenge. And here's what we see in verse 33. You see people who have have been very victorious, they've had great results, now a new challenge comes up, and this is the result. In verse 33, it says, we saw a big challenge. Now, it's going to say giants, but giants are big. And then it says this, we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. I mean, this is something that you could just read right past and and keep moving, but I want to pause there for a second because... How these individuals viewed themselves, how they thought about themselves, became how their challenge viewed them, became how their opposition viewed them. It became how they were identified to the things that were resistant to the direction and the will of God that was upon their life. There is no doubt that you have a powerful call of God on your life in every aspect of your living. God has equipped you through Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost to bring glory to his name in every single aspect of your life. Now these outside challenges come in and begin to to lean against that calling and all of a sudden now what needs to be guarded is our thinking. If our thinking begins to wane from what is true and what is true is that God has given you everything you need in Jesus to be holy, to be perfect, to be victorious, to see his kingdom expanded, to see his name glorified. If we begin to to move away from what is true, our identity is affected, and our identity is affected not only in our eyes, but in the eyes of those that are afflicting. I mean, that passage of Scripture is interesting to me. We saw a big challenge. We became like bugs in our own sight, and so we became like bugs in the sight of those who wanted to squash us. It's important how we view ourselves. 
I mean, I look at this and I think this is a, a mental health issue. This is, this is a, a thinking issue. When we're faced with conflict, how do we think? Do we see ourselves as the carrier of solution, the, the empowered, uh, victorious manifestation of the kingdom of God, not just in our lives but through our lives? Do we see ourselves the way that God sees us or do we become like bugs? Do we become squashable? So it's just meant to be an example to show the importance of keeping our mind fixed on what's true. God has gone out of his way to reveal to us the truth, to show us the truth for the purpose of the truth having an effect on us. And this is really what separates us from everyone else. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Romans. Romans 12, 2. It's a call for our thinking to be affected. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't just be like the world that is going on around you, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your thinking, so that you may prove what the will of God is. Well, what's the will of God? That you be victorious. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So for me to show the world what the will of God is, it's going to start with how I think. My mind is in need of being renewed that I don't think with inferior thinking, but rather I am thinking on the foundation of what is true, the truth that Jesus equips me with all that I need, that God is a deliverer, that he hasn't forgotten, that he will rescue, and the result will be celebration and praise. That word transformed is really an, an interesting word there. I mean, the idea that that I could have my mind renewed, the idea that I could not look like the world, that I, uh, but rather be transformed. There, there's an interesting passage of Scripture that always used to stand out to me as a, a little different. Uh, <clears throat> you remember a story in the gospel where Jesus goes to pray. Now, when I say story, I don't mean once upon a time. I mean like, hey man, did you see that? It's an eyewitness account. Jesus has his disciples with him, and he's going to pray, and all of a sudden, he changes. He turns white, and, and the light is so bright, and, and it's, it's this incredible moment that people are witnessing, they're seeing, and it, it's called the transfiguration. It's a really interesting thing, and when I remember reading it, I just thought, now, what's going on here? I mean, is this just Jesus, you know, kind of showing off? Well, that can't be it because he doesn't do that. So what is going on here? If Jesus isn't just having a moment where he's like, hey, guys, watch this. Then what's happening here? Why would this be included? Because God's gone out of his way to reveal to us that Jesus is a man just like I'm a man. That he emptied himself of every privilege. He is the apostle, the example that, that I'm just like him. You wash away all sin and all corruption from my life and you pour the Holy Ghost into my life and I'm just like Jesus. He's gone out of his way to show that, that Jesus is not some extraterrestrial, that he's different in any way, shape, or form. So why this account that shows him doing this thing that's so bizarre? What's funny to me is, is that the word there for transfigure is the same word that you have in Romans 12 too. Don't be like the world, rather be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. You and I are meant to go through the same transfiguration that Jesus had as an example when he is the apostle showing us every single aspect of his life is an example for us. Now though I will never give my life once for all, he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God, I will never die for the sins of all mankind. I am called to carry my cross every day. I am called to crucify my flesh. Every single part of his life is meant to be an example for me. And when I look at this, which seems so odd, why would he stand there and have a conversation with Moses and the prophet? Why would he speak to those that God spoke through and then all of a sudden begin to be changed? Well, maybe it's because I'm supposed to be changed by the word of God. 
Maybe it's an example that's meant to show that the Word of God is meant to enter into my life, be embraced, and then have an effect that the people around me can see. It's not just meant to be introduced into my life so that my Bible IQ goes up and I become a better Christian because I know more Scripture. Rather, it's meant to have an effect on how I speak. It's meant to have an effect on how I behave. It's meant to have an effect on my attitudes. It's meant to have a profound effect on who I am so that it can be seen from the outside. I'm meant to be transfigured. And it's then, don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transfigured by the renewing of your mind so that you will then prove what the will of God is. Prove what the will of God is. Like live it out in my life so that I can show people the will of God, so that I can perform the will of God, so that I can do the things that God's calling me to do. Those things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. All of this is taking place once this transfiguration that God is doing in my life takes place. And where does it take place? In my mind. In my thinking, where my identity is, where all the things that make up who I am are, when those things are submerged and submitted and surrendered to the truth, I no longer look like the world, but I'm transfigured and I prove what the will of God is, those things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. Healthy thinking is something that God is very interested in. Now, that's how I talk. I'm not saying that's how he would say it. That's how I talk. Let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture, however. Uh, One would be 1 Corinthians 2.16. It closes with, we have the mind of Christ. I mean, God's gone out of his way to bring the thinking of Jesus Christ into your life. That should tell you that God cares about how you think. He cares about your mental health. Here's a passage of Scripture from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound thinking or soundness of mind. I mean, what an incredible scripture. And we could just sit and dwell on that and talk about the fact that that fear is identified as a spirit, but the, the response to that is power, and the response to that is love, and the response to that is sound thinking, and these are the three things that we need to combat the fear and anxiety that exists in the world. We could have an entire series on that. All I want to do today, though, is just circle, highlight, underlined, sound mind. God has gone out of his way to bring sound thinking into my life. It's not an accident. It's not a byproduct of Jesus. Rather, it's the purpose and the intention of the work of Jesus Christ in my life to stabilize my thinking. That's an important thing to consider. I want to give you a passage of scripture here about what is leaning against us, what's pushing back against sound thinking. I mean, if I were just going to speak very casually, which I prefer to do, and I'm grateful that you give me the opportunity to do so, I would just say the enemy of stable thinking is doubt. I mean, the enemy of this this stable thought process, this lifestyle of stability in our thinking, is doubt. If the foundation is the fact that God will be there for us, then the the enemy that would push against that is is, uh, the thought that maybe he won't. It would introduce a doubt that that he won't perform as he said he would, or, or that things aren't the way he says they are. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture about this. And I told you before, one of the things we're going to find is the danger of doubt. We're going to find that here. So I think I've overserved on this scripture a little bit because it's hard to find where to start and where to stop when the content is rich. So not everything here is going to be emphasized, but I want to read a few passages so that you can have the context leading into this. James is writing, and he's writing in in the first chapter, James 1. It starts in verse 2 here where I'm reading. Consider it all joy when you encounter problems, challenges. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result so that you might be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to everyone with generosity And without reproach, that just means God's going to not just provide what you ask for, but he's going to, you know, 
go past those things. And that he doesn't do it with reproach means he's never going to say, you idiot. When you go to God for wisdom, he's going to provide wisdom not out of some superior snobbish position of, I can't believe you don't know that yet, but rather as a loving father. I thought you'd never ask. Let me tell you exactly what you need to do. I mean, his desire is to help us. So I want to keep reading here. He gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given. Now, here's where I want to begin to lay the emphasis. The one that asks must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Well, just know that this isn't a gender-specific passage. It's not like this only applies to men. The word man there is person. Just this person ought not to expect anything. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. This is something that we need to take a look at. Now, I want to point out a couple of things that I think are really important to point out. First of all, it doesn't say God won't help this person. Did you catch that? It never says that. It says this person ought not to expect anything. That didn't say God's not going to do anything. Double-mindedness will always affect your expectation. Your expectations will be affected when we're double-minded. When doubt comes in, when I am walking in conviction and in faith, I fully expect God to deliver. When doubt creeps in and begins to grip my mind, I start to wonder, well, maybe he won't. It has an impact on my expectations. If we read this passage of Scripture in an immature way, we could see this as, hey, you better not doubt or God's not going to do anything for you. Let me tell you something. I've heard that preached, and I think it is a very destructive message. In fact, I would label it heresy. Because it goes against the mercy and grace of God, and it falls in line with a lot of false religions that require you get your act together, and then I'll help you. And if that was the case, none of us would be saved. This passage of Scripture isn't saying, hey, if you doubt, God's not going to do anything. It's saying, hey, when you doubt, it's going to affect your expectations. I want to I emphasize a couple of other things here. That doubt is like, it, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, this begins to identify the doubter and describe the doubter. So let me just help everyone here and, and identify myself I have been the doubter before, often, actually. So I don't want this to feel like it's like, hey, welcome to your weekly beatdown with Pastor Preston. You know, listen up, all you chumps and suckers. I mean, this has been me. There have been plenty of times where I have have suffered doubt. And, And now the doubter is being described here, and the doubter is described as one that is like the surf of the sea, being tossed about by by the wind. Well, the surf of the sea is, is, is the waves. I mean, it's the water. The wind is, is pushing it around back and forth. The surf of the sea doesn't have any say in what direction it goes. Rather, it's driven. It's pushed. So here's what is being revealed here. When, when we step into doubt and we become the doubter, we, we, we are no longer operating in self-control. Rather, we are being affected and moved by the outside circumstances that are looking to uh, push their influence onto our lives. When doubt enters in, all of a sudden self-control is forfeited and these outside influences begin to affect where I go. What I do. Do I move this way? Do I move that way? So it's really important that we understand what's being identified here. For us to stay operating in the Holy Ghost anointing that includes self-control, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, doubt is something that needs to be monitored and it needs to be limited. It needs to be eliminated. When doubt enters in, double-mindedness becomes the effect. This passage of Scripture says something that has always stood out to me and blown my mind. Identifying a double-minded person And the result of being double-minded. Double-minding meaning, I think this way one day, I think this way the next day. 
Double-minded is something that we see in the scripture. I've said this before kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I remember as a young believer reading the, the, the history of the Israelites coming out of the wilderness, seeing the power of God, seeing incredible miracles, and then the next day fussing and whining and saying, God's trying to kill us. And then seeing powerful miracles and the deliverance of God, and then the next day fussing and whining and saying, God's trying to kill us. And I remember reading that, and, and this was the thought. Now, this is me being honest. I remember thinking, these people are idiots. Now, let me tell you what I realize now. Now I realize I'm one of these people. (laughs) I do this all the time. When I think about God's deliverance in my life and what he's done, I can look and I can see all of these times that he's delivered me. But yet now when I get in trouble, I have to be careful that my first thought isn't, I'm toast. This is it. We're going broke. We're failing. We're going under. It's over. Divorce is inevitable. I mean, those those are thoughts that are, and those thoughts are all rooted in doubt with the attempt to make me double-minded. And now look at this. Look what double-mindedness does. This person ought not to expect he'll receive anything being a double-minded person, unstable in all of their ways. So here's why that's so interesting to me. I would think that a double-minded person would be stable half the time, right? Well, it's like, yeah, when I'm having my good days and I'm trusting and knowing that God's good and that he's a deliverer and that he's present and that his power is real and his authority is, is, is real, then, then things are good. And then when I'm outside of that, that's when they're unstable. But what's being revealed here is double-mindedness makes me unstable all the time. Not half the time, but all of the time. You can't build on something that will shift. You can't build on something that will change. That's the reason why we have Jesus introduced as the rock, the foundation. He won't shift. He won't change. It's the reason why we have the mind of Christ. We're having stability introduced into our thinking. Stability that won't shift, that won't change. And as we surrender to this transfiguration that's taking place, all of that shifting thinking that goes this way one day, that way the next day, is meant to be stabilized by that which is stable. And it's not a thing, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. So I want to look at double-mindedness. I see double-mindedness as as a real trap. I mean, double-mindedness will make me unstable all the time. And we can't build on anything unstable, can't build healthy marriage on what's unstable, can't, you know, build a a, a business on what's unstable, can't build on what's unstable. So I need stability. So what's the solution for this double-mindedness? I want to give you a passage of scripture here from James that stands out as interesting to me, and I think it will be to you as well. James chapter 4, I want to look at verses 6 through 8. James 4, beginning in verse 6. Now, remember, we're talking about mental health. God's very interested in our our thinking, and he's bringing healthy thinking into our lives so that our identity is, is going to be lived out, our identity as believers, our identity as his children, our identity as the holy ones or the saints. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Now listen to this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So I'm just stopping there for a second because, once again, I feel like, you know, you can start reading and you get so ramped up because the content is so rich You're seeing grace and you're seeing all of these things that are so important and so necessary. And so it's almost like you get in the car and you turn on the radio and you got a song that's got a great beat to it. And the next thing you know, you're getting pulled over because you're doing 90 in a school zone. So you just get to reading this and then you just plow right through something that's really worth taking a look at. That last line is interesting to me. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I mean, I look at that and I'm thinking there's, there's an action that's being instructed and, and there is a, an identity of where this action is needed. When I see this, I see that, hey, sinful behavior needs cleansing, right? And then I see over here that double-mindedness has a way to be responded. And the response for double-mindedness isn't a 
medication. It isn't counseling, but rather it is purifying of the heart. If I want to work on the instability in my mind, if I want to surrender to that work that's going on by Jesus, that work is taking place in the heart. I've had a few instances that really were, were great examples of this, and I can't give too much detail because there's an appropriate amount of, of uh, transparency, and then there's just you know too much information. But within marriage, there have been times where I have been double-minded. I'll be this way one day and this way the next day, and my wife really is affected by that in a negative way. I mean, it's like, wow, flowers today, and then, man, you are a monster tomorrow. That's really unstable, right? And the problem with instability is, is it is abusive. When someone doesn't know what to expect, they're in a constant state of defensiveness. And that constant state of defensiveness is not a healthy way to live out life. It's a breeding ground for conflict and, and everything that is... Uh, disagreeable and disruptive. So without revealing too much, all I'm saying is there was a situation where double-mindedness was very present. Which husband will I see today? And I remember having these conversations, and of course all of my apologies began to sound the same. You know, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I didn't know I did that. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to. Always interested in telling my intentions, you know. I didn't mean for that. And of course I, I didn't mean for it. And the problem was, I had no idea how to actually bring a solution. So all I'm trying to do is buy time. It's like someone asking you a question, and, and you're, you're trying to come up with the answer, but it's not happening, so you sit there and, uh, 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 um, 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 uh, uh, uh. I mean, you, you have this, this natural instinct in you to, to it's really self-preservation, but it's buying time. And in this case, I'm trying to buy time. I, I can't let my marriage fall apart. Uh, that, that's not the will of God. So, so I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. Well, well I'll, I'll adjust that or I'll, I'll do this. And, I'll, and finally, one day, my wife stopped me and she said, honey, you can make all of these changes and some of them would probably be good, but you need to understand this is a heart issue. Well, I didn't like hearing that because I like to think I'm perfect. And you all would agree that I'm perfect, right? <laughs> this is a heart issue, meaning like this is not something that you're going to, you know, adjust this over here and everything's going to be fine. Adjust that over there and everything's going to be fine. You're trying to control the circumstances to, to control the effect. You're trying to stop the wind to make the waves quit and you can't do that. This is a heart issue. You need to be able to stand firm when the wind blows. You need to be able to stand firm when the waves crash. And if you spend your time trying to control the wind and prevent the waves, all you're going to end up is tired and disappointed. And in that case, divorced. And, and I don't want that. Nobody wants that. It's a heart issue. And I see this in this passage of Scripture. To get rid of this double-mindedness, we can't go to the wind. We can't go to the waves. We need to go to the heart. Because the wind's going to blow. The waves are going to crash. And when the work is done in our hearts, we can stand firm through those things. Let me give you a passage of Scripture here from 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Your, your scripture, your, your uh, translation may use a word like steadfast, and that is a fantastic word. It's actually the right word. But I want to, to use the, the word uh, stability because it's the same thing, consistency, stability, steadfast, because we use the word stability uh, through this message. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts. Did you see that? Your heart. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and therefore into the stability of Christ. May the Lord direct your heart into the love of God. For me to, to, to minister to this double-mindedness is going to require a work in my heart. How is that going to, to take place? Well, first of all, it's only going to happen by God's love. 
all of the insecurities and all of the instabilities that make up the insecurity and the instability that I manifest through my double-mindedness are all healed by the love of God. Not just medicated or, or you know, disciplined, but rather they're healed by the love of God. When God brings his love into my life and brings his identity and his, his acceptance of me and, and begins to, to work on all of the things where I've been wounded and hurt in the past, those wounds and those hurts are meant to be healed so that they no longer cause the irritation that leads to the double-mindedness. May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and then into the stability of Christ. I mean, I see this as kind of step one, Get your heart saturated with God's love. Step two, now then be stable. A lot of us simply want the end result of stability and, and struggle with the idea that God loves us, that he heals us, and that his love is more important and more powerful than any of our past wounds. And we're so busy trying to defend ourselves or identify ourselves in response to our past rejections and our past wounds, that we do not surrender to that work and it affects our identity, which is bad thinking. We don't walk in that transfiguration that sets us apart from the world and leads us to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, and it disrupts everything, positioning us to live a life of double-mindedness, being unstable in all of our ways. That's a pretty sorry recap, isn't it? But then here comes the love of God to minister to the hurt and the wound, to do the work in the heart, to lead me into Jesus, the stability of Jesus, or should I say, the mind of Christ. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I want to close with, with, with these two passages one, I mentioned that we were going to find what we need to focus on. I want to do that quickly. It's really not the emphasis that it was when we set off in the beginning. But Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 are a call to, to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. That the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And now here's the result. Tell me if this doesn't sound like mental health, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. You know what's funny? We add words into the Bible for readability because the Bible wasn't written in English. Words like and, you know, your heart and your mind. If you were to go to this, you would probably just read in the original language that the peace of God will guard your heart-mind in Jesus Christ. Not talking about your heart that pumps blood and your brain that sits above your body that is sending electrical impulses throughout your body so that your body can function, but whether we're talking about your identity within your soul. It goes on to make this statement as we're protected in our thinking. Finally, whatever is true, and remember what's true is that God has chosen you and he will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever is honorable, that sounds like Jesus to me. Whatever is right, again Jesus. Whatever is pure, wow, that's Jesus. Whatever is lovely, Jesus. Whatever is of good repute, Jesus. If there's anything at all that is excellent, Jesus. If there's anything worthy of praise, Jesus, dwell on these things. Focus on these things. Watch these things. Uh, we're, we're, we're closing with this from Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 shows another passage of scripture that you have to ask yourself, what's going on here? Is this just Jesus showing off? Well, again, we've already covered that. He doesn't do that. He's not insecure. So this must have a purpose for my life. Jesus sends the disciples to cross the, the body of water to go to another city. He goes off to pray, and then he catches up with them by walking on the water. And as he approaches the, the boat where the disciples are at, the disciples are worried and concerned because there's a storm that's coming up, and, and the waves are crashing over, and they see Jesus walking on the water, and they know, well, that can't be right. So they all freak out and say, it must be a ghost. 
I mean, these guys are having some mental issues right now, right? Remember, we're talking about mental health. I mean, these guys have been there, done that. They're manly men. They're not fearful men. And all of a sudden, they are seeing apparitions. I think we have pills for that today. And they say, it's a ghost. And Jesus calls out and says, no, it's not. It's me. And so Peter says this. And let me tell you something. This is a pretty bold thing to say. He says, hey, if it's you, command me to come to you. And so Jesus says, come. And Peter puts a leg over the side of the boat. And don't you know, he's expecting to get wet from head to toe. And all of a sudden, <sighs> that's weird. I've gone over the side of this boat countless times, and that's never happened before. Kick the other leg over, and then he just begins to walk toward Jesus. And, and this is an incredibly powerful, amazing act of faith. And then something happens. Then all of a sudden, the word says he begins to look at the wind. Let me tell you something. When was the last time you saw the wind? can't see the wind. Unless you live in the Texas panhandle, and then it's just brown with dirt half the time, right? You don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. He saw the waves. He saw everything that was telling him, hey, buddy, this shouldn't be happening right now. You should be sunk. And when he began to focus on all of those things that would tell him this shouldn't be happening, when he began to look at the things that would say your marriage should be over, when he began to look at things that said your kids should be rebellious, when he began to look at things that would say your business should be failed, when he began to look at things that said it should be over, he began to sink. He cried out to Jesus, who didn't say, believe harder, but who reached out his hand and grabbed him and pulled him back to the surface. And then Jesus said something to him, and it's something that we need to look at. We need to know who Jesus is. Remember, no insecurity, no self-righteousness. He looks at them and he says, why such little faith? And then he says this, why did you doubt? We know he's not rebuking him. We know he's not just sizing him up. We know he's not just humiliating him, kind of putting him in his place in front of the other disciples to kind of keep the pecking order but rather he's saying something to minister to this situation that I've been in a thousand times. And he's identifying what the struggle is. Doubt. Why'd you doubt? When I see this passage of scripture, I'm so attracted by the walking on water and the miracle and the signs and the wonders and the heart of Jesus Christ. I can see those things, but now I begin to see later on in my life the example that is being revealed. That my enemy is doubt. And that in the midst of doubt, I can call on Jesus. He will reach out his hand and he will rescue me. And that is the foundation of every stable thought that will ever pass through my mind. That is mental health. I want to pray for us this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me. I want to trust and believe God to do a work in our lives, a work in our, our hearts, have an effect on our mind, that, that transfiguration that is called to, to take place in the life of every single believer. I'm not certain that that is a one-time event. Rather, I believe it's a lifestyle of surrendering our thoughts to God. I mean, we're instructed by the Word to take every thought captive, and, and that's such a, an interesting way to say it and to word it, to take every thought captive. I don't know that that's something that, that can be done without tremendous effort or being intentional, but rather the instruction is there to simply watch our thoughts, monitor our thoughts, to capture those thoughts, to not let them run wild, but rather to, to require them to identify themselves. What is your origin? What are you doing here? What is your purpose here? And when we find that those thoughts are not leading us to stability, but rather they are the source of instability, we ought to be careful and be mindful of what we're focused on. Are we focused on waves and wind, or are we focused on Jesus? 
Are we focused on everything that says it's not going to work? Or are we focused on the one who speaks the truth and has ordained it to be successful from the beginning? And I want to be those that can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I believe that it is the fixing of the eyes on Jesus that makes a way for the work to be done in the heart, to have stable thinking and celebrate the mind of Christ. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do these things on our behalf by His Spirit. There where you stand, you can simply be in an attitude of agreement or a, a state of receiving, however you choose. But I trust and believe that God is working in our hearts and in our minds by His Spirit right now. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the call to have sound thinking Let it not simply be something that we would become aware of and and memorize as a scripture, but let it be something that we would see that you have made a way for to be part of our identity and our being, to be stable in our thinking. Let our hearts be open and surrendered for a purifying work, a work that would make a way for all double-mindedness to be rooted out of our lives, that we wouldn't uh, suffer inconsistency in our thinking, but that we would be stabilized by your love, that we would truly walk in the mind of Christ in everything that we would deal in all that we would, would, would face. Let there be the stability of Jesus. We give you thanks, Father. Protect us from being distracted by the things in this world, the wind and the waves, the things that would would speak out against your will, those things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. But let us be transfigured. Let us be changed to rise above all that would wage war against your will. And let us be set apart, consecrated as different. And let that difference be the renewal of our mind, just as your word would promise. And let every aspect of our living bring you honor and glory as we live out our lives stable. Where there's inferior thinking, where there's unstable thought, where there's double-mindedness, let your grace and your goodness be magnified. We give you thanks, Father, for your love and your affection for us. That this would not be some work or labor that we would be cast into, hopefully being successful, but that this would be a work of your Spirit in us and through us that we simply surrender to and allow to take a wonderful and powerful effect on who we are. We bless your name and we thank you, Father, for this powerful work. Let stable thinking, consistent thinking, result in the wonders of your kingdom being lived out in and through our lives. We bless your name, Father, and we rejoice that you would make such a powerful gift available to us through Jesus. We receive your gift for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, amen. Well, may the Lord bless you with the mind of Christ. May you have a stable and consistent thinking in all that you do. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.